Hey fam, it's Josh. Let's talk about hospitality. It's the final discipline in our Become Like Jesus class. We're doing it in the, this last spot, not because it's not important, uh, but as you'll see, it's because it flows, I believe, out of uh, all these other disciplines that we've talked about so far. Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian feminist literature professor at Syracuse uh, University, and in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, she tells the story of her journey to become a Jesus follower. She has an amazing story, and I think one of the most amazing aspects of her story is the fact that after writing the scathing article against Christians, a pastor and his wife wrote her a letter and invited her over for dinner. And it was around the table in this family's home, uh, she ended up going back time and time again, where she began to experience the gospel. She stayed for what she thought was research reasons to kind of, you know, understand the enemy, but she eventually fell in love with Jesus. Her term for it is radically ordinary hospitality, which is a great term, thinking about this example, because there's nothing out of the ordinary in inviting another human being over for dinner. But it's radical because it was inviting an enemy, someone that they knew did not believe or think the same or like their way of life. I tell that story to get at the heart behind the discipline of hospitality. These last two disciplines that we're looking at in our Become Like Jesus class is our community and hospitality. Both of these are outward-focusing disciplines. Community focuses outwardly on deep fellowship within the local church family, and hospitality focuses on connecting with the people around us who are not yet following Jesus. And I just love the radical, ordinary hospitality view of reaching out to lost people because I think it humanizes and kind of demystifies the process of evangelism. Evangelism at its core, like most basic element, at least as far as I can see, is getting spirit-filled Jesus followers in close contact with people who need Jesus so that the gospel can be shared and experienced relationally. We believe that God saves people, not us. But we also believe that he has chosen us to be his messengers, and he invites us into the family business, as it were, of seeking and saving the lost. And so we show up and we let him use us. The Gospels tell us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But there's also one other statement that follows that same pattern. They also tell us that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Tim Chester points out that the first statement, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, it tells us the purpose, the reason why Jesus came. And the second statement, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, is a statement of method of how he went about it. And one, at least one of the ways that he went about it. In the Gospels, especially in the Gospels of Luke, Tim Chester points out that Jesus is almost always going to a meal, at a meal, or on his way from a meal. I think the story of Zacchaeus is a great example. When you look at his story, Jesus demonstrates radically ordinary hospitality towards this guy, even though Zacchaeus hosted the meal and provided the food. You know, Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was a social pariah, an outcast as a tax collector. He was basically extorting his own countrymen for the Roman Empire and getting stupid rich in the process. Like, people would have wished him dead. Like at risk of overstating the point, he probably would have been a, a viewed about the same as we'd view like an open, unrepentant child molester. And Jesus is radical in his this ordinary statement, I'm coming to your house today. 
I'm going to break bread with you around the table, dining as a fellow human being, even as most of your neighbors probably want you dead. When we think about hospitality as a spiritual discipline, it means opening up our lives and our spaces to give strangers uh, a place to cast off their, str- their strangeness. And guys, in our day and age, the ability to listen, to have genuine interest in the lives of other people is going to be so compelling for most people. I mean, like, that's why the counseling business is booming right now, because so few people have, you know, kind, peaceful friends who can ask good questions and listen well. And so we pay professionals $100 an hour to do that for us. This posture takes a lot of pressure off, off of us uh, when we think about moving towards lost people. Uh, where you, we can be anxious, we can get real anxious and nervous and try to figure out like what we're going to say and have all the answers or whatever. But a truism that I try to live by is this. It's better to be interested than interesting. It's better to be interested in someone else than trying to be interesting to someone else. Sometimes I, I'm tempted to try to dazzle and impress people that I spend time with, but honestly, you know, that's exhausting. Instead, there's some great subtle power in simply being interested in the other person's life, entering into their world and their story. Now, there are three uh, steps or uh, uh, p- things that we would open, three openings in the discipline of hospitality. I've mentioned two of them already. We open our lives, uh, which means our schedule, having time, to welcome lost people into our lives and be with them in an unhurried way. And we open our spaces, our homes, our front porch, our back patio, our, uh, you know, our, our lunch hour at work, our table, our couch, you know, whatever space we might have to offer others. And then we, the third one is that we open our mouths, we speak. You know, it's not hospitable to invite someone over to your house and just, you know, leave the door open, uh, but be gone. You know, like that's that's an Airbnb. That's not being hospitable. Hospitality is being there with them and responding to people, you know, with truth and love. This is where we might actually share the gospel or at least one aspect of a gospel in a conversation that, you know, kind of lends itself to doing that. And listen, guys, in my experience, when you open up your life and your spaces for being with people and asking good questions uh, and, and just speak honestly about what you think and feel and believe, the conversation almost always goes towards some aspect of the gospel. Uh, that it's just this beautiful, multifaceted jewel that speaks to all of life. You know, maybe it's talking about justice as people rant about the injustices in our society. Uh, and then we can talk about the justice and mercy that both meet in the cross. Like as we consider, you know, people in our society or groups in our society that are practicing injustice and we're mad at them, you know, like we, we want them to be punished. But what about the things in us that need to be punished or the, the things in the, the oppressed people that might need to be punished or whatever? You know, it gets messy when we start start talking about meeting out justice and we see the cross being, in my opinion, the, the only answer to justice and mercy. Maybe it's talking about that tension that I think any person that really thinks deeply has to wrestle with, that humans are glorious, beautiful, but also the garbage, (laughs) glory and garbage of the universe. Humans can do beautiful, good things and unbelievably terrible, devastating things. And the Bible has categories for that. We're made by God as his image bearers. And yet we're fallen, sinful. We've rejected God's way and we wreak havoc on the earth and others in that rejection. So what do we do with both aspects of human, humanity? The cross. 
It shows us that we're more loved, more valuable to God than we could have ever hoped. He loved us literally to death. But it also shows us that we're so sinful and depraved that God's son had to be crushed for me and for you in our places. Like that kind of stuff just comes up. Uh, what's your relationship like with your parents? Well, my dad, he was so kind and generous, but he also divorced my mom and left us for a younger woman. You know, there you have it, glory and garbage. There are just examples um, you know, like this that you could pull from all different aspects of the gospel. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The beautiful thing about gospel fluency is that there are literally infinite connections and facets of the gospel. And in my experience, we don't have to force them. We just practice radically ordinary hospitality and see how the Spirit might move a conversation. And I just want to take a minute uh, to point out how much of the discipline of hospitality flows out of the other disciplines we've already covered. Uh, to be clear, I'm not saying you have to like wait to do hospitality until you do all these other things. But I think there's this, this beautiful uh, kind of like feedback loop. The, the other disciplines fuel our hospitality. And I think hospitality fuels uh, our desire and awareness of our need for the other disciplines. Hospitality will send us into the other disciplines as well. First, opening up our lives. This is simplicity. I mean, we talked a lot about our cluttered schedule in in that class, and it seems like that you know the the activity aspect of simplicity is is the area where we struggle with a lot. Uh, you know, what does it take to have regular intentional space to be with people who don't know Jesus? Opening up our lives that will will. Uh, have space emotionally and relationally to really listen to people. This is like simplicity of speech. Uh, and, and then that, that space will, will flow from the degree to which we are with God in silence and solitude. Like the silence and solitude with God will allow us to be silent and receptive, calmed and quieted as we listen to other people. You know, resting well on the Sabbath, being filled up with the light and who God is. Resting well and being filled up with the light and who God is, how he is our treasure, how he is the best thing, how we, we just delight in who he is and how he loves us and we want others to know that. And Sabbath is huge for creating space for that. Uh, we, you know, we're, we, we aren't distracted and frazzled from our work or need to keep up with our expenses as we do simplicity. That, you know, all these different layers. And Camille and I, if I could just confess, this might be TMI, but, you know, we just feel a lot of sorrow from the past few months because we've just been consumed by a couple of rental house situations that have been soul crushing. I mean, so a lot of that's based on you know, people not paying rent or management companies screwing up or whatever. Uh, and we're hopefully coming out of it. It's been some suffering and it's been miserable and it's been like so preoccupying and it's kept us from having space for, for people, for the people that we want to be present to. And we're just kind of grieving that, holding that before God. And I think the season has really just been super formative in terms of thinking through the potential you know, just relational collateral collateral damage or the limits that would come from various ways of investing or side hustles or whatnot. And then it, we open our spaces. You know, think about how our spaces are affected by other practical disciplines. When I first challenged folks to invite non-Christians over at my last church, one of the guys, I, uh, a guy I dearly love, he just melted my heart uh, with kind of like just, you know, plain honesty said, It'll probably take us a year to get to that point. And I, I thought I had given like a super low, you know, easy access, easy invitation to, you know, to invite someone over. But, you know, he shared like his family hadn't seen their dining table in years. It was so cluttered with stuff. They normally ate on the couch. And, 
uh, he didn't really know any non-Christians. And so, you know, they'd have to get their house to a place where it wouldn't be like shameful or uncomfortable to bring someone into it. And, uh, you know, it just takes time to work through that stuff. Like it, it will, it, hospitality will flow out of, you know, kind of a, a system of healthiness and simplicity and closeness with God. The physical space is important. You know, it doesn't mean you need to be fancy or, you know, have, be, have this like kinfolk style dining room. Uh, Jesus is the greatest example of that. He was hospitable and he didn't have a house at all. But so maybe that, you know, if you don't have a house or, you know, a house that you can host or whatever, it requires some intentionality about, you know, simplifying and budgeting so you can, you know, maybe cook more food and bring it over to people's houses or, you know, even buy a coworker lunch or, you know, something like that. There's ways to be hospitable uh, even, you know, if you don't have, uh, you know, a house or whatever. But for most of us, we do have houses and we do have spaces that we can use intentionally uh, and make comfortable for folks and invite them into. Maybe that looks like, you know, moving your TV somewhere else so your living room is more focused on, you know, interacting between people rather than having, you know, all the seating set up to watch TV. You know, these are just ideas, just throwing stuff out there, how we can think through our spaces uh, carefully. And then opening our mouths, uh, you know, it require, that requires us to be deeply immersed in the story of Scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the way it connects to real human lives. Being fluent in the gospel, uh, I've read, is, is compared to being like a jazz musician that can kind of like improv the gospel and like riff on different kinds of uh things that people say or situations that come up and kind of come at it from all these different angles based on, you know, what other people around you are saying or doing. And, and that comes from a steady, patient, affectionate study of Scripture and sitting under good teaching of Scripture with helpful application, you know, considering Jesus's ways of relating and asking questions and considering ways prayerfully how to translate them into our lives, like being deeply immersed in the Gospels and what Jesus said and did and how he related to different kinds of people with careful thinking and listening to the Spirit, letting that inform uh, our way of being, like relating to people the way Jesus related to people. Of course, sharing information is good, but how we share is huge. You know, if we're these like stressed, anxious people, uh, nervous about sharing the gospel because we don't want get to it, get it wrong and we're scared the other person won't like us, like that's going to come out even if we're like super articulate. Uh, we, we witness through our words for sure, but we also witness through our lives, like our presence, the degree to which the fruit of the Spirit shows up. And we, we come to people as people of joy and peace and patience and gentleness. Like that, that's going to be sort of like the apologetic for the truth, for the good news that we hope to share. So do we have this quiet, abiding, non-anxious presence of someone who dwells deeply with Jesus and we speak out of that, that deep dwelling with Jesus peacefully and lovingly and freely. Uh, what kind of lifestyle and disciplines would help facilitate that type of presence to offer other people? So that's kind of why we're doing Hospitality Last. Uh, it's, it's one that I think can, bring, can be super fun, super exciting. It can be a huge antidote towards uh, depression and anxiety and stuff as we move towards other people. Like, obviously, this could be done to, you know, an unhealthy degree, but it can be, like, really freeing to, like, put your suffering and your life and your kind of drama, just, like, put it in a box on a shelf and just enter into someone else's story. Just come as the presence of Christ to someone, knowing that God's holding all your suffering. God's with you in the valley of the shadow of death. God's holding all your anxieties, and you can just be present to this person could be like a little break from, you know, just being so self-preoccupied with our own junk.
So what does hospitality look like? Uh, an entry-level suggestion um, is to keep a prayer list of one to three people that you see, you know, that you know and would like to see come to know Jesus and pray for them every day. Uh, you know, put it on your mirror in your bathroom or on, you know, whatever, the steering wheel on your car. And, and, then, and then try to reach out uh, to them and try to connect some way just to build a relationship. You know, maybe that's just like lunch or coffee or something. And then the reach level would be, and also do a prayer list um, and, and invite someone into the Jesus tradition of eating and drinking like in your home, fellowship around the table, uh, sharing a meal and just, you know, get, giving them the dignity of breaking bread together. A key function of both of these, these invitations is actually writing down, you know, in a journal somewhere uh, on the fridge, uh, setting a prayer reminder on your phone to pray for specific lost people. Because I think once you're aware of folks in your life that you see on the regular that don't know Jesus, and then you're holding them before God and you're asking God to bring them to himself, uh, the practical steps of, you know, going for a walk together or having a beer on the porch becomes, you know, a, a lot more uh, natural. Two final ideas to keep in mind uh, about hospitality. Maybe uh, maybe you put people on your list and you pray for them for a while and try to reach out, and they're just not interested in connecting. Uh, this is kind of like my neighbor Jerry across the street. He's friendly. We both have boys. We've gone to the splash pad together with our kids before, uh, and we connect on the sidewalk. But, like, anytime I try to, like, invite him over for dinner or, you know, to, to come over for a drink or something. He, he gets all weird. It's like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, let me let me talk to my wife. And he never gets back to me. Um, you know, if, if that happens to you, uh, don't sweat it. Like, you don't have to want it for them or make them respond or whatever. So much of this, and I, you see this in Jesus's life, is you respond according to how people respond. Who responds to you? You know, compare Jerry to another guy who literally, you know, wandered into our church. Uh, he lives across the street from the church here. Uh, and and said he, you know, and he wandered into a pastor's coffee last fall and said he was an atheist and had questions about religion. And he's like regu- regularly like texting me and wanting me to come hang out in his backyard and have spiritual conversations and like day drink and stuff, which is funny. Uh, but a key to hospitality is openness and opening the door to see who walks in. And then you can kind of respond and prioritize people you know, uh, accordingly, you, you know, you're not failing if your neighbor just doesn't respond because I mean, this is probably another discussion, but in our day and age with COVID, blah, 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 like interpersonal relationships are just so weird and awkward. And some people just might not have the space for that. And it'll take, you know, five years of like sidewalk greetings to get to a point to go deeper, whatever. The second idea to keep in mind is to embrace scruffy hospitality. You don't have to have the best beer, the best meal, the cleanest house to offer strangers a, a space to cast off their strangeness. Uh, the best thing you can offer is yourself, a peaceful, loving presence that points them to, to Jesus. And so if the house isn't spotless or you didn't get a chance to vacuum or it's like really simple food or whatever you have to offer, like that's totally okay. Uh, odds are that will make the person feel more at home with you when they can see that, you know, you're not like Superman or whatever. I had a funny experience with scruffy hospitality a while ago. I had some guys over, so last summer when we were doing our house, guys over for a fire and we had some drinks and as someone was praying at the end of the night, they're like, thanks for Josh and his scruffy hospitality. And my my gut reaction was like, what are you calling scruffy, bro? Like, we got a fire and the good bourbon and the good gin out. And then I realized, like, you know, we're in a work zone. Like, we were literally sitting by a fire next to a huge dumpster. And there's, like, a pile of rusted metal pipes I'd ripped out of the house and, you know, all these empty cardboard boxes. And, 
you know, when he went for water, he had to go into like our laundry room, you know, to get it out of the utility sink because their kitchen is destroyed and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, scruffy hospitality can happen, you know, no, no matter what. And it's true. And, and then when you kind of acknowledge that it's scruffy, it, it can also invite you into humility there a little bit. But just open the door. And if folks judge your hospitality, then, uh, you know, you can move on to someone else. Uh, to close, let's hear an invitation from, from Jesus uh, to each of us into his hospitality from Matthew. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's receive this hospitality from Jesus, and let's offer it to others and see what God does through it. I love you guys, and I'll see you soon.